You know, when I moved to Madison for the first time five years ago, um, there were a lot of things that made the city different. Um, but one of the things that I, I noticed right away was that while I was out driving, um, it seems like more than half the cars, almost all the cars have a bumper sticker on them in Madison. Doesn't it seem that way? Maybe I was just coming from a place that didn't have a bumper sticker on it, but it just seemed like every car had a bumper sticker on it. And uh, in Madison, it always seems like it's either one bumper sticker or like a hundred bumper stickers, right? You're sitting behind someone at the stoplight and you're trying to read all of the ones that you don't recognize. Some of them you do, so you just kind of ignore those. Um, uh, Bumper stickers can be a lot of things. They could be political, like who you should vote for. I've seen bumper stickers that are political on who you should not vote for. And I can admit that this week, I officially became a Madisonian in that I put a bumper sticker on my car of a political candidate going uh, running for the president in 2020. So I'm an official Madisonian now because I have politics on my vehicle. So well done. I'm, I'm here. Um, but other times they can be pretty funny. I found these online. There's one of uh, these bumper stickers. It says, be nice to your kids. They'll choose your nursing home. That's a good point. Okay, yeah. That's, a, that's some really good wisdom right there. Um, next one says, honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you'd like to meet him. I don't know if that's a threat or if it's just like this is what's going to happen if you text and drive. Um, this last one I thought about buying for Dan. It says, I used to be cool. Uh, he could have put that on his minivan. I mean, I'm assuming Dan used to be cool. He's not anymore, obviously, because he drives a van. No, I'm just kidding. Um, bumper stickers can be political. They can be funny, but they can also be religious. And I'm not talking about the coexist stickers that are on the Priuses, not that I'm stereotyping or judging anybody, but we all know that that's the cars that they're on, right? Um, they can also be religious. Have you ever seen a Christian bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot, God helps those who help themselves, everything happens for a reason? We love that last one in the church, don't we? Everything happens for a reason. Um, these are kind of like these little Christian slogans that aren't uncommon to see on bumper stickers, but uh, they're not just bumper stickers, and bumper stickers are never just bumper stickers, right? Bumper stickers are things that we're not just saying, we're not just trying to communicate to you while we're stuck in traffic on the belt line, bumper stickers usually are things that we believe, usually things we believe strongly about. As a matter of fact, and then those are the things that dictate what we say and do. What we believe dictates what we say and do. So when we say things like, God is my co-pilot, God helps those who help themselves, and, and everything happens for a reason, that's indicating something that we believe that absolutely impacts the way that we live our everyday lives. Okay, so why am I talking about bumper stickers? Well, as we've been mentioning in the last couple of weeks, we're beginning a brand new series. This is week one of Bumper Sticker Theology. Bumper Sticker Theology. And in this series, we're going to take a closer look at some of the things that Christians say that could be put on a bumper sticker, and we're going to kind of examine them. We're going to break them down. I've been really excited for this series because sometimes Christians, believers, and I understand that not everybody listening or watching or in the room might identify as a Christian, but you know, Christians, uh, sometimes we are well-intended and misinformed. Sometimes we mean really well, um, but we're kind of misinformed. And so it kind of gets us off track just a little bit. And so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the question, is it biblically sound or does it just sound biblical? Is it true 
Or does it just sound true? And how do we know? Well, here's the thing, and, and this is why I think the next few weeks is really important. One, because I think that some of the conclusions that we have made, every single person in the room, okay, you're not exempt. All of us in the room believe things that aren't true. At one point in our lives, even probably today, you have believed something that wasn't true. And I'm not just talking about Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. Sometimes we believe things, we've heard things growing up, or we've heard things from the news, or we've read this, or someone shared that, and we've believed things that aren't true. Now, the only thing worse than believing something that's not true is never, ever addressing it, right? Okay, so you're going to, every person, even the most intelligent person in the room, is going to believe things that aren't true. But you know what? At least talk about it, address it, maybe come to terms with it, that it's not true. We can work with that, right? Um, but, but the second thing, and the more important thing that I think is, is when we say these things, or when we live these ways, um, you know, we could either help people find God, or we can push people away from God. The things that you and I say and do, when you say that you go to church, that you believe in God, that you pray, that you read the Bible, when you ever do that, people are kind of sizing you up. And that could be a good thing, and it could be a bad thing. Like I say, I would love to know more about your faith because you just, you know, you don't have it all together, but you seem very confident. You don't have it all together, but man, you seem to have purpose and direction in your life. And it could be a bad thing. I would never, ever go to church because that person goes to church, right? It could be either or. And you know people like that in your own life. Every single person at one point or another, you've crossed paths with someone. You say, I'd like to know more about their God. I don't want to know any more about their God. I already know everything I need to know about them. And so we need to talk about these things because they absolutely impact not just us, but our families, our neighbors, our coworkers. It impacts everything. And today we're starting this series by talking about the statement, God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't give you more than you can handle. Raise your hand if you have ever heard that. Okay, unanimous. Okay, has anyone ever told that to you? God won't give you more than you can handle. Okay, nobody has to admit it in here, but I know that you've told people that too. Okay, so it's okay. You just, don't worry. God won't give you more than you can handle. Okay, well we got to talk about that. We got, we really got. You guys already know where I'm heading with this, right? I mean, okay, so we got to talk about it now. Oftentimes, when we say that uh, God won't give you more than you can handle, it really is meant to be like a good thing, an encouraging thing, a pep talk thing. Like, hang in there you got this. You can do it. God won't give you more than you can handle. I mean, that's what we do. We're not trying to be like bad or misinformed or anything, but in the process of saying all of those things, we, we, we're trying to encourage people. We might be giving them uh, actually some bad advice. And uh, we think sometimes even to ourselves, you might not say it to anyone else, but you might think it, God won't give me more than I can handle. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I can get out of bed and do this because God won't give me more than I can handle. And I think that sometimes we say it when we don't know what else to say because you can't say, well, that's a bummer when you find out somebody just got fired. Oh, well, that sucks. And then the more serious parts of life, right? You find out someone's getting a divorce. You find out someone had a miscarriage. What do you say? I mean, those, these are real hurts that real people that you and I have dealt with. I'm sorry, my condolences, what do we say? Well, we try to be encouraging and we might say, well, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle. And that can actually be kind of hurtful as well. So why does it feel right to say? Because I'm guessing that that's why we say it, because it kind of feels right in the moment to say it if it's not right to say. And I think that it's because it's our American culture. If you were born and raised in the U.S., um, we kind of have this pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality, this autonomous value that 
uh, you need to overcome your own problems and that you can do it and uh, don't ever rely on anyone else for help. You need to be completely independent. As a matter of fact, we're going to be celebrating Independence Day this week, right? So it's not just a huge value for our country to be free, but it's like your value of being independent. So we don't want to rely on other people. So we say, God won't give you more than you can handle. Meaning what? I can handle everything. But let's talk about that. If God never gave you more than you could handle, then you don't need God. And we're done. See you guys next week. No, see, I mean, but it sounds biblical. God won't give you more than you can handle. But if he never gave you more than you can handle, you wouldn't need God. If you could be a perfect person, you don't need to be here. You can leave right now. Just go ahead. None of you are perfect, so stay seated. Okay? (laughs) If we were perfect people, we lived in a perfect world, we wouldn't have needed Jesus to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death that we all present day deserve, to overcome death, to give us a way of new life. So to say that God won't give you more than you can handle, it's just not true because I would rule God out. So where does it come from? You're like, okay, okay. I'm, it, you're, you're kind of starting to agree with me maybe a little bit more than when we first started out. Okay, so where does it come from? I, I think that it comes from the misinterpretation of a few verses, but specifically one in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse 13, Paul writes, no temptation has seized you that isn't common for people, but God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond your abilities. Instead, with the temptation, God will also supply a way out so that you will be able to endure it. So I'm not saying I don't understand where people are coming from, because it is easy to read this Bible verse and to say, oh yeah, God won't give you more than you can handle. But I want to show you that it is a little different. So I think we have a side-by-side view of uh, the one on the left here is what we read in the Bible, that God won't allow you to be tempted beyond your abilities. And the one on the right is the one that we say, which is God won't give you more than you can handle. And it's when we put them side-by-side like this, you can really kind of see the difference. Can't you? They're kind of different ideas. You see, God won't give you more than you can handle means that everything that comes into life, you should be able to handle. Don't ever pray because you don't need God. But God won't give you more, won't allow you to be tempted means that God won't give you more burdens than you can handle. God won't let you be tempted beyond your ability to overcome those things. Temptations and burdens are completely different. And, you know, this is when, like, we break down a word and we want to talk about temptations. But I'm not going to do that today. We're just going to completely skip over that. I want to talk about the context of what in which Paul was writing to these Corinthians, talking about this specific passage. Um, this church in Corinth was a new church, a lot of new believers, a lot of problems, lived in a very kind of pagan society, lots of gods, lots of weird things. And they had kind of their own, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas saying, okay? They had their own saying, and it was to live like a Corinthian. That's what they would say, to live like a Corinthian. And what did that mean? It meant you drank, drank a lot of alcohol and you had a lot of sex with a lot of people. That's just, I'm being crass, but that is absolutely what it meant. And so if you were just a boy or girl growing up in Corinthian, Corinth, you would just know that, hey, you know what? When I grow up, to be a Corinthian means what? It means to drink a lot of booze and to have a lot of sex. Now, these Christians, these people, these Corinthians, they become Christians. And Paul's kind of saying, well, okay, (laughs) a little different now, okay? So that's not the goal of our faith is to have a lot of sex and to drink a lot of beer. Actually, I want you to cut back on some of that. And so Paul starts going into that. So then these new Christians are kind of thinking, okay, so I just won't want to drink anymore. 
I just won't want to have sex anymore. And Paul's saying, well, no, <laughs> no, you're still going to want to, is what Paul is saying. So you're still going to be tempted. You're still going to want to, but God is going to give you the strength. God will be in it with you to help you overcome. He won't let you become so overwhelmed by a sex addiction, a sex addiction or alcoholism that it completely consumes you. If, if you're going to reach out and hold God's hand, God's going to hold your hand too, and he'll walk through it with you. So he's saying that there is a different, he's encouraging new believers, don't go back to your old lifestyles. There's a new way to live, okay? So it's not about God not giving you more than you can handle. It's about God helping you when you're facing several different temptations. Now, you might be a little bit more cynical in the room. You say, so what? Is it really a big deal if I tell a little white lie about God to my coworkers? And uh, yeah, I think it is. I think it is uh, for a few reasons. The first reason, I think it's because you're lying to yourself. I think that when we're overwhelmed by our circumstances that we don't like to ask for help ever because that shows that I'm weak or I'm too prideful to ask for help because you know I would never, ever need help. And the truth is, is that we all need help at some point. But we continually perpetuate that lie and push it forward when we constantly tell people, God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't give me more than I can handle. So one of the dangers is that I, I just continue to lie to myself that, that I can do everything by myself. Taking it a step further, it tells us lies about other people. <laughs> when we see them overwhelmed by their circumstances, we think, well, why can't they? Well, why don't they just, I would never, I can't believe. Those are the things that we say and think and do when we see other people who are, might be struggling with things that we don't struggle with. And we think, well, why can't they just pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Why can't they just handle their business? Those are the things that we, we think. And then what ends up happening is you and I, and we perpetuate this lie of God won't give you more than you can handle. And then what do we do? Well, lo and behold, we do have to deal with things that are beyond our capacity to handle. We do. Every single person in here does. And it's okay to say that. It's okay to admit that sometimes life is so overwhelming. And that's okay. But what ends up happening when we lie to ourselves like that, we get into some very unhealthy coping habits, coping behaviors. What we do is that we start to self-medicate. And maybe that's with alcohol. Maybe that's with sex. Maybe that's with drugs. We self-medicate. This is so overwhelming. I can't handle this. So I'm just going to drink a little bit more. I'm just going to take this pill. I'm just going to do this one more time. This is the last time, right? So that's what we do. Uh, we isolate ourselves. I know people who think that it would actually, life would be better if they just weren't around people anymore. They're like, you know what? I'll just kind of isolate. I'll just kind of be lonely. I just won't be around other people anymore. I'll just kind of stick to my own. And, and to that, that's how they cope. They're like, well, I just don't want to infect anyone else with my negativity or whatever. Or we can become something like workaholics where it's always, we're so busy because we're like addicted to the high of being busy. We're addicted to the high of always having something to do and, and going on to the next thing and running to the next thing. And, and so I never have to slow down to think about all the situations that I can't handle because I'm always so busy that it, it, I can't ever think about it. So um, those things are all unhealthy. But here's one reason that I don't care for. I don't care. This is not why we're doing the series. The one reason I don't care is so that you could ace a Bible exam. That's not why we're doing this series. I don't care if you know a bunch of extra stuff about theology and Bible verses and, and what life was like for a little Corinthian boy or girl. Okay, like, I don't care. What, the reason that we're doing this series is because these are things that we say, these are things that we do that affect the way that we think and the way that we live, the way that we parent, the way that we love other people, the way that we do community, the way that we go to work. These things affect, and that's why we're talking about this. 
Because if we keep going on, God won't give me more than I can handle. When we over, when we are overcome, we'll think, well, either God's not there because this is a lot more than I can handle, or we'll just self-destruct. And neither of those options are good. And so, in the middle of your overwhelming circumstances, okay, in those times when you are facing something that is more than you can handle, because sometimes in life you will face more than you can handle, I just want to say right now that you are not alone. You're not alone. And some of you just let that sink in. And not just because I'm saying it, okay, but because God is here right now. God is with us in our midst. And you are not alone. God is with you. There will be times in your life, hard times in your life, where you'll have to admit, can't handle this by myself. I need help, and that's okay. And that means that you can rely on God. That's the good news of today's message, that you can rely on God and other people to help you get through whatever it is that you are going through. God won't give you more than you can handle is a bumper sticker saying that is not true. But let's correct it. The correct thing to say would be that God will help you handle all that you've been given. Not God won't give you more than you can handle, but that God will help you handle all that you've been given. Do you see the slight change in words here, but how it's completely different? And it just makes a lot more sense when we think about life and God. And and all of a sudden now, it just seems really clear, at least to me, and I I hope it's making sense, but it's that there are going to be things in your life that just suck. There are going to be things in your life that are hurtful. And it's not that you have to get through it by yourself, is that God is with you and he will help you handle all of the things that you have been given. Let's commit this morning to believing this. God's not going to leave you. Well, there are two responses, I think, that when we're hearing this statement, okay, so what does it mean for us today? Well, I think that we have to learn to depend on God every single day. I think we have to learn to depend on God every single day throughout the moments. When we face something that is difficult to handle, depend on God. You have to choose to trust God. You have to choose to believe that God is going to be with me. I have to have the faith to believe that. I know the situation is really big, but I trust that God is working it for my good. I trust that God is with me, and I trust that God is going to do something that I can't know or expect but he's with me. In Psalm 46, we read that God is our refuge and strength, a help always near in times of great trouble. I don't know what your great trouble is. I don't know what it is that every single one of you are going through. Sometimes it's very public. Other times it's really private, but God is near you when you are in trouble. He draws nearer to you when things get difficult. In 1 Peter 5, Peter tells us, throw all your anxiety onto him. Why? Because he cares about you. If you're stressed out, if you're depressed, if you're consumed with worry, Peter says, give it to God. Why? Because God loves you. God wants you to bring your problems, your all of life to him. And that means it doesn't always have to be good. I know we get together every Sunday morning and we sing and we pray and everyone's smiling. It's like, joy, joy, joy. Great, 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 great. And I know that some of you are crying on the inside. And some of you are really mad on the inside. And it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be mad at God. It's okay to be mad at life. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be irritated. And it's okay to bring all of those things to God. Actually, I would say that you learn to depend on God more when you open yourself up to be willing 
to give him everything, not just the part of you, not just the good stuff, not just the happy stuff, but when you're also willing to say, God, you know, I'm really frankly pissed off about something. And when you're willing to give that to him, you are learning to create a greater dependency on your heavenly father when you can bring him the good stuff and the bad stuff. Now, it's not just God that we can go to, but I think that we can depend on God through other believers. And I say this so often that you're tired of hearing it. I know you are, so I'll just say it and then we'll move on real quick. But we were created for community. You're not meant to do this life all by yourself. And that is more true in the Christian faith. I mean, that is, it's a human thing. It's a true human thing, but it's also a Christian thing that we were meant and made for um, community. And now one of the most important ways that I think that you live out the community is through the small group. Um, I, I think Sunday mornings are great. I think it's awesome. Our kids have a great time. We have a good time. We, we learn together and do stuff. But it is really difficult to get into all of the things that you're going through here on Sunday morning in this format. I mean, I don't think anyone would volunteer to come up, grab a microphone, and just start talking about all of the things that they feel overwhelmed with at home, right? Like nobody would want to do that on video. Um, but that can happen in a small group community. As you open up your heart, as you make time in your schedule, you show up, you get to know people, you develop trust with other people, you can begin to say, this is really hard. This is my scar. These are my issues. And it's not just to complain and to have a pity party, but it's to heal. And it's to know that there are other people who know that when they see you, they know. They know what you're going through. They know the ba battles that you're fighting. They know the heartbreak. They know what you're celebrating. They know what you're working toward because you go to the small group, because you're known, because you invest an hour of your time with other people. Now, here's the thing, okay? Here's the thing. Sometimes life might be really great, and I hope that's all of you today and everyone listening. I hope that life is just as good as it gets. But anyone who has lived more than a year on this planet, you know Life is full of ups and downs, and sometimes it's up, 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 and sometimes it's down, down, down. And sometimes it's down so much you can't remember what it was like up. And sometimes it's up so much that you can't remember what it was like when it was down. But every single person needs a small group because if you're up, 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 and life is good right now, people who are down, down, down need you. They need you, okay? And at some point, the tables might turn, and you might be down, down, down. And they might be up, up, up. And then that's when we see that relationship go back the other way. Where maybe life is good for you and the next year it's not, but it's good for them. And when we have friendships like that and relationships like that, it's so easy. It gets so much easier to go through the difficult times that we have. The anxieties, the stress, the frustrations, miscarriage, end of relationships, loss of a job, really significant and severe things that happen to real people every single day are managed better and more effectively when we have people around us who can love us, who know us, and know us by name and care. Now, I want to say one thing that I want to acknowledge that um, sometimes people need the help of a doctor, of, of a therapist, of medicine, of recovery programs, because sometimes challenges are beyond a small group, okay? I would be lying to you right now if I said they weren't. Sometimes you have to go to the doctor. Sometimes you got to take the pill. That's okay. Okay. That doesn't mean you don't depend on God. It doesn't mean you don't depend on other people. You can do it. They're not mutually exclusive. It's not either or. It can be both and. And that's okay. Okay. But all along, we need to resist the lie. Resist the lie that I should be able to handle everything myself. So if that's you today, 
if you feel like you've got something bottled up inside of you that's really heavy, I want to encourage you to write that on your prayer card before we leave today so we can be praying for you. But we don't want to just pray for you. We'll send you an email if you gave us your email address. We want to check in with you. We want to make sure that you're okay. Again, we're doing a bumper sticker theology series, not so you know more about systematic theology. That sounds boring to me. But it's to say, I know that we're all real people trying our best, going through difficult times. We don't have to be alone. We're all here. Let's do something with that. Now, I know what some of you are thinking too. Like, I already go to a small group every week. Check, 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 check. I'm done. No, 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 no. Hold on. Okay? Because if you remember, the original reason that you got in a small group wasn't just because you had nothing else to do during the week, right? Because, I mean, we're all busy. So you got in a small group because you prioritized it and you valued it. And I would encourage you that if you're already committed to your small group, what would it look like to go one step further? Because we always want to be growing. We're always moving. We're either moving towards this or that. We're either growing or we're not growing, uh, growing or dying in some cases. And so if you've already been going to a small group, what would it look like to go one step further? Maybe there is someone in your group, you're down, 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 and there's someone in your group who just seems up, 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 and you feel drawn to them. Maybe that's God's spirit leading you to seek that person out in your small group. You just think, hey, would it be okay? Could I buy you a coffee on Saturday morning and just talk? Or can we go out on Thursday night and just talk just like a half hour or an hour? Or if you're up, 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 and maybe God is nudging you and saying, hey, you notice that person coming to groups kind of like down, 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 right? Maybe God's nudging you to say, why don't you ask them for coffee? Because they're not going to ask you. So why don't you ask them, hey, you want to get together? Now, I'm not saying, you know, you, you sit down with them and you say, well, it really seems like your life sucks and uh, mine doesn't, so how can I help? Don't lead off with that, okay? But to say that I've noticed, all right, this is what I see. I care about you deeply. How can I help? Is there anything I can do to help? They might tell you no. We can't force people to let us help them, right? We can't make them do that. But if they're willing, it could be something awesome. It could be an evolution. It could be something new to your faith in which you are growing, okay? And as we close out this uh, part of the series today, week one, I want to remind every single person that the cross is our eternal reminder that we can't handle everything on our own. So when you hear someone say, when you feel like saying, when you're at an intersection and the bumper sticker in front of you says, God won't give you more than you can handle, I want you to remember the cross. Because Jesus came precisely because there was more than we could handle. Paul writes in Roman at just, Romans, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still weak, at the right moment, Christ died for you and me. When there was more than we could handle, God came right next to us and said, I will help you handle all that you have been given. 